There is nothing we should be quite so grateful for as the last line of a poem that goes, when your own heart asks, be resolved, young samurai, and tell the world what you witness here today. Your actions have brought shame to your entire family. Others will shoulder a share of your burden until such time as your disgrace can be forgotten. It's intense. Pretty fucking intense. <laughs> How much shame have you brought to your family? <laughs> you know what? Surprisingly, I think I am one of the least shameful members of my family. No way. Of of the sons, second least shameful. <laughs> it goes from eldest to youngest in that regard. <laughs> Though I've never been arrested. That's fair. Uh, so yeah, there's that. That's a good thing. I guess. Mm. I mean, I could have been arrested for civil disobedience, and I mean, my dad would be happy about that. <laughs> oh, he's definitely a stick it to the man kind of guy. Oh, I was like, that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> well, it just in that regard, I am not making that half of my family. Well, sorry, I'm not making my father proud. That the rest of that half of the family are probably like, yes. You are a good Slovenian boy. <laughs> not not going to prison. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Welcome to our fourth episode explaining Legend of the Five Rings on the It's a Mimic channel. I'm Megan and with me again is Roman. Hello. In this episode we're going to be looking at the social conventions that hold the Empire together and the way that they affect your play experiences in the Legend of the Five Rings. Well, first off, <laughs> we're going to start with honor and dishonor. Sounds good. Those are the two that you will interact with the most throughout standard play, and they're the ones that fluctuate the most throughout standard play, depending on how you decide to play your character. Yeah. Honor is the self-esteem and self-worth of a character in the Emerald Empire. An action that would cause them an honor loss is literally destroying their own conscience in themselves. Honor represents a character's personal investment in the concept of Bushido and their belief in the righteousness of this code. Their dishonor is, you know, the inverse of that, right? How willing they are to sort of eschew the code of Bushido for the sake of their own benefit and for the sake of... You know, attaining their goals. Mm -hmm. It's only represented as a singular stat in the game. It is ranked from 1 to 10, and it fluctuates based on the things that you do. Most GMs don't police it super heavily, nor should you. Yeah. There are certain things where once it's established at your table, it should be understood and expected that if you tell a lie, you'll lose a point of honor. Yeah. If you go sneaking around, you will lose a point of honor. If you steal something... As soon as it starts getting into those bigger concepts, that's when the honor losses start to get a little bit larger. Yeah. No. I remember, like, because when I played in my first one where I was first GMing, I uh, I didn't use it that much. I, like, use it a little bit at the beginning to, like, establish what it meant to be honorable and what it meant to be just dishonorable. But then as the players kind of got used to it and started doing things more in accordance to the conventional things that you would do in Rokugan, it became easier to not have to navigate. Are you sure you want to do that? Because this, like, as the more they understood what they were doing, the easier it was to not have to micromanage it. 100%. Yeah. And it helps when your players understand that there is a mechanical benefit to being honorable. Because you can use your honor score 
to resist temptation and fear. Yeah. And that is something that I've always found really interesting about the system. It's that this sort of high concept, almost role-playing stat is used as a way of protecting you mm -hmm. in other parts of the game. It's the equivalent of, you know, your charisma and will save. Yeah. Because I remember there'd be times where we'd be like, okay, well, yes, you're going to make this roll, but because of the situation you're in, you can add your honor score. Or what, like, you know, if it's low, then I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you're going to get a disadvantage because you are not honorable in this situation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But, no, I remember... And I, I personally had a lot of questions around that the first time I played, because I did a lot of dishonorable stuff in the first time I played that when I was a player in this game. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> and I was definitely punished for it, but I was kind of like, that's where my character was going, and I was okay with it at the time, and it worked out in the end, but like the, I needed to do it to learn it, if that makes sense. 100%. I think that most people coming from a background without a morality system like this yeah. will, will fumble, right? Unless they're actively saying, like, hey, I want to play a high honor character. Mm -hmm. How do I do that? Um, the, even anything south of lawful in D&D &D mm -hmm. would incur honor losses. Yeah. Just by the way that the setting is written. 100%. Rogan is a setting that rewards conformity and rewards an adherence to tradition and rewards individuals who do what is socially expected of them. And it punishes the nail that sticks out. Yeah. No, I can't even imagine what it would be like playing in the D&D campaigns that I'm playing in right now and being punished for being dishonorable because that is literally all we do. I'm not surprised. Like, you know, like, it just, it just, it just feels right for D&D &D to do shitty things to get your job done. Whereas, like, I find that in Rokugan and Alpha Var, you were required to use your brain and how do I do this and stay honorable. Exactly. For the most part, right? There are times where you do the dishonorable thing to end up doing the honorable thing and you just take that as a punishment, like, take it on the chin and move on kind of thing. Well, and each character's definition of honor shifts depending on which clan they're from, Yeah. right? A lion's definition of honor and a crab's definition of honor and a spider's definition of honor are all very different things because they value different things, all under the purviews and the envelope of, you know, what it is to be a samurai in Rokugan. That's fair. So do you prefer playing honorable or dishonorable characters? As a player character, I really enjoy playing honorable characters. Mm -hmm. Stat boost aside... The system and the social interactions of the setting are more interesting when you try and lean into that aspect of it. Yeah. Right? Um, especially when there are so many ways to get the job done more easily. Mm -hmm. If you were to just lie to somebody, break in and steal a thing, it does make it more of a thinking person's game. Yeah. As opposed to, well, I'm going to kick the door down and just you know mur murder this whole peasant family because they're peasants and it doesn't matter. But that is a breach of compassion, mm -hmm. right? And that is a breach of honesty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember, I I like the idea and I've, I've enjoyed mostly a lot of my characters that will dip into being dishonorable and then have like a redemption period of figuring out how to get themselves to be back to being honorable. Yeah. Because again, like the, the structure and the world is built in a way that it, the more honorable you are, the more you are rewarded in life and in death and in rebirth and in going through those steps. So being dishonorable has its merits to have more of a creative storyline juxtaposition. So it would make your conversations more challenging. It would make your interactions at the table with different characters very interesting because you have someone who's doing a dishonorable act and the rest of the people at the table are trying to be honorable and then it becomes that at the table conflict, right? One thing that I forgot to mention earlier was that like, your honor is seen. Yes. You can make a roll against somebody and say, 
I want to know what their honor score is. Mm -hmm. And you make the roll, and it will tell you, oh, this person is you know, a very honorable, pretty decent human being, and it makes it easier for you to trust them. Or, this person is a dishonorable dog, and... Yeah. It makes you think twice about taking the cup of tea that they put in front of you, right? Yeah, I kept wanting to call it a sincerity roll, but it's not because that's not in D&D. In D&D, it's a... Um... So, yeah, so in D&D, it would be the equivalent of making an insight roll, of finding out if someone is being truthful the way they're speaking or not. However, it's different in L5R because the spectrum changes. Because if you know their honor score, you know where they're at. But like... It makes it easier to infer whether or not they are being honorable. There yeah. are still roles that you can make to determine if somebody is being truthful, being less truthful, but knowing their baseline honor value yeah. makes your interactions a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. No, it's true. It at least lets you know what they're willing to do in order to accomplish their goals. Somebody has a high honor, well, they're probably less willing yeah. to, to lie to you. If somebody has a low honor, it doesn't mean that they're lying to you. It just means that they're okay with lying to you. Yeah. So I just feel like it does add a little bit to the table when you're having conversations, even with NPCs, like, because especially if you're having conversations with NPCs, if they find out that you're being a twat waffle, again, it's, it's a big deal. Like, yeah. it's less of a deal when it's like player versus player, but like when you're out in the world and interacting with NPCs, it can be very problematic. It is more problematic than playing the fucking either lawful stupid paladin versus like the barbarian murder hobo. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's a different world. And it's a different way that you interact with it. But what is your favorite clan to play against the grain? I love playing honorable scorpions. Yeah. I like, I have a buddy who we may end up hearing from later on when we visit scorpions, but I call him the only honest scorpion. Yeah. And he is the, the benchmark of what I feel like an honest scorpion could be, would be, should be. Yeah. Because he won't lie to you. Yeah. But he has no he has no problem like not being entirely honest with you mm -hmm. in certain situations. If it is life or death, it is if it is about, you know, your personal agency, if it is about ensuring that, you know, you are well taken care of, like he's not going to take advantage of you. Mm -hmm. But if you're playing poker, he has no problem taking your money. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when it comes into play yeah like right? there, there are there are moments where i know i know that he's not going to lie to me but because he never lies to me there are moments where i don't question what it is he's telling me yeah and those kinds of scorpions are my favorite to write and my favorite to play because it's like this guy has been really good to us for the entire campaign and he's come to ask us a favor that doesn't feel like it's entirely on the up and up but this is my dude so i'm gonna go and help my dude yeah that's amazing yeah no oh. i remember my, my first dragon character was very against the grain for dragon oh yeah and uh mostly because it was my first time playing the game so i didn't really establish that baseline for myself but it worked out in the end because that was my redemption character even with the primer of, yeah, the dragon are kind of like, you know, floaty, hippie, esoteric. Like, they like to, you know, meditate and, you know, ponder the world. You're like, I'm going to play a hyper militant. Yeah, very strategic, done. very planned. And like, you know, like, and in the end, though, she realized the benefits of playing as a dragon. And then she kind of mentally switched as she grew up. Yeah. That being a dragon meant certain things. And then she just became more that as she grew up kind of thing. So again, the redemption story is what I love. But I've now loved playing a lot in the Phoenix clan. Yep. Because uh, my campaign took place a lot within Phoenix. And I did really enjoy playing a lot of Phoenix against the grain because a lot of people don't see it coming because they are very, like, I mean, sincerity is more dragon, but they are very, like, simplistic and, like, no, like, honor is honor and we do what we do and, like, we do what we do for the Empire and they're very, like, wholesome 
Yeah, like the the Phoenix are touted as being pacifists. Yeah. And being concerned with the truth of things and finding out information in honorable ways, like through study and, oh, well, there's probably a book about this somewhere. Yeah. And so the flip side of that being that the Phoenix can become obsessed yes. with that knowledge. Hyper focused. information. Yeah. That's what makes them really cool. Yeah. No. So I loved playing it against the grain where like I would have some Phoenix that were not necessarily finding their information via the traditional Phoenix means, but were navigating slightly dishonorably trying to find information because to their point, the honorable piece was helping their clan. They were going to do what they needed to do in order to get what they needed to get done. But it did go against the grain of being a Phoenix. Yeah. And uh, I had a lot of fun doing that. And, of course, those characters ended up getting punished. But it was a lot of fun to play with. Cool. So, um, what are notable ways of displaying honor through roleplay? When in doubt, lean into the Bushido virtues. Yeah. Be polite. Be helpful. Mm -hmm. If somebody, if you see a peasant that's getting picked on, step in on their behalf and say, hey, you are beating this peasant a little bit hard. What did they do? Why are you so angry? Mm Mm-hmm. You have other social stats and conventions that you need to keep in mind when you were doing those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But if if you were to play, hi, I'm I'm Sammy Super Samurai, and I'm going to do everything by the code of Bushido every time, then yeah, you see a peasant being picked on, you go and ask the other samurai why. If it seems like they're not being a reasonable person, then you politely tell them that. Perhaps you should deal with this another way. And just, like, following the code of Bushido to the letter makes it easy for you to not hemorrhage honor. Yeah. It's not always the most exciting way to play, unfortunately, which is why I would say pick three. Hmm. Right? Pick three virtues that your character deems to be the most important. And, you know, as a conversation, you know, you as a GM and then you as a player to say, hey, these are the three virtues that my character deems the most important, this one being the most, these two being the second most, and this is the way that my character is going to sort of interact with the world. That makes for an interesting role-playing dynamic Yeah. with your characters. That's fair. Yeah, just don't be a dick. Yeah, long and short, <laughs> don't be a dick. It applies in role-playing games, it applies in life. Yeah, and I and I feel like we've talked about this a little bit, but I, I did find that like sometimes because I was a new GM and I had new players at the table for this this type of game, uh, there was a lot of stopping and thinking about. Wait a minute, who does this affect? Who does it not affect? Like it it makes you think like a human being, like because you have time to stop and think about it. You don't really necessarily have those emotional reactions you would if you were a human being. Um, but as a GM, you would navigate that. And if someone had a response to a situation that was not necessarily honorable, it is okay to stop and be like, okay, your character would know X, Y, Z. This would be the repercussions and the consequence of being a twat waffle in this situation. Are you sure you want to move forward? Yeah. As an honor six crane samurai, you probably wouldn't do this. Yeah. Would you like to do it anyways? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do it. Oh, no, I guess I won't. Uh, as an honor one and change spider... This is perfectly within your rights to do this. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do it, though. Yeah. Today, I feel like being an honorable and nice person. I'm going to be a good guy. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it out. <laughs> try be a nice man. So the, the next stat would be glory and infamy. Yeah. Uh, glory is how others view a character through their reputation. Secretive shameful acts do not cause a loss of glory, but they will only cause a loss of honor. Glory is always awarded by a character's direct superior and all their promotions uh, by their lord or sensei. In contrast, infamy is the Rokugani measure of a dishonorable or criminal's 
behavior. And they are two separate stats tracked on your sheet. So when you rank up, which is the equivalent of leveling up in L5R, you automatically gain one glory. Mm -hmm. So when you go from one to two, you would start at glory. Uh, you would go to glory one if you had no glory. Mm. If you have received promotions, let's say you went from being just a run-of-the-mill samurai to being a uh, magistrate, you would gain your one glory on top of that. The justification for this being that you are recognized for being more powerful, more skilled, more uh, notable within the Empire, and therefore that glory makes you more recognizable. Mm -hmm. Glory and infamy both affect NPC behavior. So if you are somebody with high glory, people in the street will look at you and say, oh, you're so-and-so. You beat this person in this duel last week, and there was a big public display, and oh, please come by our restaurant and you know have a meal on us. It would be a great honor for us to have this you know great warrior within our walls. Yeah. Your infamy does the same thing. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, sir, we can't accept you here today. And they don't tell you why, but you have a sneaky suspicion that it's because you got kind of drunk and stumbled out of a geisha house and vomited all over a noodle cart, and a couple of people in the area saw that, and they don't want to put up with your shit. <laughs> you are no longer welcome in any of these noodle houses. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, you, you know what? Word travels fast, especially amongst the noodle carts, and, like, you piss off one noodle vendor, you piss off all, all the, noodle the noodle vendors. vendors. <laughs> But which of these are you most inspired by, glory or infamy? I love infamy. Yeah. Because your infamy can be from things that you didn't even intend on doing. Yeah. Right? You were, you were in the wrong place at the wrong time and... The bard saw what you did, wrote a story about it, and now you're forever famous for it. Yeah. And, yeah. Now, and now you're Johnny Poopy Pants, right? Like, <laughs> That's where you get your shitty nickname from. Everybody knows that you shized yourself <laughs> in, the middle of this, in the middle of this geisha house, and now none of the geisha want to hang out with you. Or... You know, you're you're caught in this you know, scandalous affair, and the next time you show up to court, you know, for some people, your infamy will draw you the attention, and for other people, your infamy will draw attention. Yeah. It's more interesting to me than glory, because glory typically is paid out positively, or at least players expect you to pay it out positively. With infamy, if you pay the infamy out positively... Yeah. Sometimes it makes characters and players behave in ways that are interesting. Yeah, sometimes it'll send the wrong message to your players, right? This is true. And as a GM, you can eat that stuff up and be like, well, you know, the, this one guy was happy with the fact that you busted this dude's biwa, which is like a stringed instrument, because you didn't like the music that he was playing. But everybody else at this court thought that you were a dickhead. Yeah. So it depends on what kind of relationships you want to build and what kinds of contacts you want to build up. Yeah. And it, depending on which clan and what, what court you're at, right? Because again, to your point, even when you're thinking about honor and dishonor, there are things that some clans would find, like, would bring glory, and there's some clans that would find things that would make it infamous. Correct. It's like the same kind of concept. It depends on, like, your environment, who you're around, and who you're with. You'll walk in, and they'll be like, okay, well, what? yeah, again, what you did was super cool. You may not get glory out of it, but you wouldn't necessarily get the negative effects of being infamous. Yeah. But other clans would think that it's really fucked up what you did. And so you'd walk in on your high horse, and it's like, no, technically, what you did was stupid. And you are now infamous in this space. Yeah, there, there's a social standard, as yeah. always, but that fluctuates depending on which part of the empire you're in. Yeah, no, for sure. What are notable ways to display glory when you're role-playing? Hmm. Notable ways of displaying your own glory? I know, because in my mind, I'm like, that means you're just gloating about your shit. Which, 
actually kind of gains you glory. Yeah. Rules is written. Like, by bragging publicly, you gain glory. Yeah. It feels kind of weird in our society to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get up on this stage and tell everybody about how I, like, killed a whole field's worth of bandits and, like, save this princess. Pump my own tires, yeah. But, like, in many ways, Rokugan rewards people pumping their own tires as long as it's true. Yeah. The flip side of it being that if you boast about being this great warrior and somebody decides that they want the glory of beating you in a duel, you might find yourself getting challenged. You might get fucked up. So, displaying glory? I would say the easiest way to earn glory is to do things in public places. How do you typically display a glory for your characters through through roleplay? Uh, I, I feel like it would be like, yeah, again, to your point, utilizing it in your uh, conversation and interactions. Like if you're trying to get your way into someone, into some place, or you're trying to like impress a clan. Or into someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, use those stories that you, you've done. Like, like, I am this person, I conquered and took this castle back for this clan i am that person i am him and yeah i am him I am, oh i am him because <laughs> uh, to your point it is a very it's a different muscle to flex in l5r than it is in D because in D D, we tend to like lean on our own personal issues with self-gloat but in rokugan being self-aware of the actions you've done to improve the empire is a good thing yeah. right like i did sit at this court and i was the one who had that opinion it, don't be scared to, like, voice that when you're having those conversations. And they'll be very quick to tell you whether they give a shit or not. Yeah. Right? Like, as a GM, it'd be like, oh, yeah, like, if I was this clan and you told me that you stole someone's castle for someone else, I'd be like, I'm sorry, but did you have the right to do that? Like, it depends on who you're speaking to. Totally. But, totally. <laughs> but that's one way to do it is just talk about your accomplishments um, and speak to them. And don't be afraid to speak to them. Yeah. Like... We tend to reward players in D&D for being silent for the good deeds they've done, whereas it's the opposite. You should be rewarded for the good deeds you have done because you are okay with speaking to the things that you have done. It's your resume, right? Wow. <laughs> That's a little deep. I wasn't it's expecting like, that It's one. like handing someone your CV to be like, these are the things I have done. Yeah, yeah. You know what? That's a great way of looking at that. It's like, you might know this about me, but I'm him. I, I am him. <laughs> Uh, I'm like, as a GM now, so I'm going to ask, are you him? <laughs> oh, I am in fact him. I am in fact him. <laughs> you might not know this about me, but I'm that <laughs> guy. <laughs> yeah, and like it didn't come up a lot in the campaign that I played, unfortunately, because a lot of what we were doing was inter, like, they were, they were interacting with each other, not a whole lot with NPCs without in the world. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of opportunities for them to navigate their glory and infamy, but there were a couple of players that specifically took a couple of ads and disads that increased or decreased their infamy specifically. Mm. Uh, and so the only way I was able to do that was I threw a festival that they would walk through. And then that's how I was able to throw in a couple of engagements that based that were specifically based on their, their glory and infamy. Yeah. Because that was the only public forum that I could give them within the scenario of my game where they could interact with the public. Yeah. That would know or not know the actions that those characters had taken. When, and it's tough with some of those things because if you do something horrible on one end of the Empire and you go to the other end of the Empire... The odds of you being in this, like, middle-of-nowhere village and them saying, oh, yeah, you're the dude who stole that horse in the Lion Lands is, is, is low to no. 
So what I will usually do as well is like your infamy sort of is like applicable and not applicable depending on where you did the thing that you did. Mm-hmm. Right? If you did your thing, you know, very publicly in the Imperial City, you better believe that reputation is probably going to follow you. Everywhere. Everywhere. There was there were ravens sent. Yeah, right? Everybody knows <laughs> that you're the idiot who spilt tea all over the visiting lord. <laughs> <laughs> or handed a dead bonsai tree as a gift when you entered in, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Oh yeah, they talk about that. And I find that like infamy and glory play really well at small courts. Yeah. Because courts are usually played over the course of you know a couple of months, depending on what season it's in. Mm-hmm. And it gives you a lot of time to build your glory and infamy and for people to reference your glory and infamy yeah. in a variety of settings. Yeah, in different conversations with different types of people, yeah. right? Because it also means something different for if you're playing a bushi versus a shugenja versus a courtier. I find that it because you do represent yourselves slightly differently in social settings. Oh, 100%. So. And, and things that would make a, things that make a courtier glorious are not always things that would make a bushi glorious. No, that's what I mean. are not always things that would make a shigenji <laughs> glorious, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's so many different things to think about and um, variables when deciding, hey, do I give my player glory for this? Would their lord reward them for this? Yeah. So that's a good question to ask. Would your lord reward you or punish you for what you've done? Uh, my lord? Oof. Yeah. It depends. There are some days where I am an I'm excellent at being uh, an honorable human being. I would say I I make a pretty decent Tagashi monk most of the time. What would you say you're infamous for? Ah, I can't say it on this podcast. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, I have the lechery disadvantage. <laughs> so lecherous. <laughs> uh, I mean, we kind of talked about it already, but is there a notable way in there that you would uh, role play infamy? Again, if you want to lean into your infamy, just bragging about it. If you want to try and hide your infamy, sort of shying away from certain places. Like only hanging out uh, with people that you think wouldn't know about the thing that you've done. Or Mm -hmm. with people who wouldn't care about the thing that you've done, right? With both like glory and infamy, you either lean into it or you shy away from it. Yeah. Because you might be a character with a bunch of either Mm -hmm. who doesn't like to be in the spotlight. Yeah. Or you might be a character with a little bit or none of each who wants to be noticed. So you can pick and choose which of those things that you would like to lean into Mm -hmm. to either get your character noticed or have your character ignored. Yeah, that's fair. The third of the social stats is status. Mm -hmm. Status is a direct measure of a character's influence and responsibility in Rokugani society. It is the public standing of a character. Promotions or demotions cause the character's status to raise or lower respectively. Status grants a samurai authority over samurai of lower status within the same hierarchy. Mm. What this means is if four of us are cops and one of us gets a promotion and gains status, it doesn't really matter if we're from different clans if we're part of the same policing organization. Yeah. So an example of this would be the imperial magistrates. Mm -hmm. If we are all four of us wearing imperial magistrates badges, but Uh, player C gets the promotion, then you and I technically defer to player C when it comes to most things. We can voice our opinions as long as we do it in a respectful and a polite way, but player C is the one who the decision falls upon at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, There's a nice chart in the PHB, or sorry, in the core book, that... Look at you using D&D terms. Oh, don't let it go to your head. What a fun concept. Uh... (laughs) 
there is a fun chart in the core book of the Legend of the Five Rings 4th edition game <laughs> that gives you a breakdown of what is expected status for different roles within the Empire. Mm-hmm. The Emperor is 10. Yeah. A samurai is at 1. A ronin at 0.5. And then, you know, geisha, peasantry, all that. It just, like, goes down from there. Yeah. Uh, there's a big, you know, gap in the middle of, oh, this person is this amount, this person is this amount, this much for being a general, this much for being a war hero from a war that you won, and I don't have it memorized, unfortunately, because I referenced the chart. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where deferring to the person with the highest status will usually keep you out of trouble. And the person with the highest status, depending on what the location is, usually sets the rules of decorum. Mm -hmm. So let's say that we go to this Mantis clan lord's estate, and he deems it acceptable for him to have his feet up on a table and to be drinking sake with his shirt open. He's allowed to do that, and your responsibility is to ignore it to the best of your ability and accept that he can behave how he wants in his own castle. Good for him. Yep, good for him. It may mean that some of the rules of decorum are a little more lax here, but you can't go and shame him because he is the highest status dude at the castle. Yeah. So how does that... So that's kind of how you would interact with an NPC based on status. Yeah. Uh, Are there any other ways that you would find helpful for a player to interact with NPCs when when you're taking status into consideration? Well, as as always, there's a role for it. You determine what their status is. It depends on the kind of character that you want to play. If you want to play somebody who is nicer to people of lower status, you know, don't be a dick. If you're going to play somebody who is dismissive or doesn't care about those people, then again, lean into that. But have a good reason as to why. Yeah. Right? It's not enough to be like, I'm going to be a dickhead to you just because you're beneath me. Yeah. You can play that, but it's shallow and it spits in the face of uh, courtesy and compassion. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I know there's, like, one of the questions that we ask, like, in the session zero for when we play L5R, there's a question around, how do you feel about those of lower status and lower class? Yeah, it's part of the 20 questions in, uh, in character it, it, yeah. creation. And so it's kind of like, that will kind of establish how you interact with these people. And I think that's, like, step one, is answer that question for yourself and for a character. And that's how you're going to utilize status and navigate within the world. Yeah. Because if you look at them like, no, they're just regular people, I'm not going to treat them like they're shitty, you probably won't use the status stat block a lot, because you're just going to treat everybody like they're human. Well, you, you're you not going to throw your status around. Yes. That's you're, you're going to defer to people of greater status, because that keeps you out of trouble, but the people of lower status, you're, you're going to offer them all the same, I say most of the same... Courtesies. Courtesies and yeah. respects and... Uh, concessions that you would somebody of equal status. Because you're not going to go out of your way to be rude. Yes, but you're also not going to go and, like, rub the feet of somebody who's got lower status than you. No. Publicly. Yeah. But uh, but then the flip side of that is if you do look down upon those of a lower status than you and you're going to use your status as, like, a like defense mechanism for yourself because you want to be an asshole. Like, or even in Rokuto, it's not like being an asshole, but you're just going to use your status to your benefit. Like, again, that will navigate how you interact with NPCs. 100%. You would take the time to find out if they are a lower status than you are, and if they are, that will change how you interact with them. Yep. I know that you have to listen to me, so I'm going to make you go and do all the jobs that I don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm sure that we've all worked in situations where you have a manager who's a bit of a dick. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when we get into positions of power, we're like, oh yeah, 
I definitely don't want to go and clean the toilets. I definitely don't want to alphabetize these shelves. How dare you throw EB Games at me? <laughs> hey, man, I'm not trying to out you like that. But I bet you did it. I, of course I did. Well, I was a manager. I made other people do it. Uh... <laughs> Look at you, having yourself. I know. Uh-huh. My status, using yeah. it to my advantage. Just throwing it around willy-nilly. <laughs> uh, how does status play into the way you interact with other PCs? That's where it gets a little more difficult. Yeah. I have rarely run into that issue at my tables where people sort of abuse their status, but the inclination can be there. Mm-hmm. And I think that having those conversations outside of the, the roleplay to be like, hey, I, I am now in this position of status. My character as written would probably behave in these ways. Yeah. Know that it is not me being horrible to you. If I ever step over a line, just let me know. Mm-hmm. Or to, to make the conscious decision to say, okay, my character as written would have behaved like this. However, this is a collaborative storytelling medium and we're all here trying to have fun on one of our days off. I am going to play my character a little bit differently. Yeah. For the sake of creating a better play experience. True enough. Um, I had two players at the table that would constantly ask, uh, and again, it was along the lines because it's their first time playing (coughs) this game, uh, this style of role playing. And also, again, I was a new GM for this specifically, but there were a lot of questions at the table in a situation being like, do I have to listen to this person? Yeah. And the answer is always technically you never have to listen to somebody. That is a decision you have to make based on your own honor, glory, status. I was like, but technically, in this situation, if we look at the status, yes, you would listen to this person to maintain being honorable and maintain doing these things within that. Like, so if you want to go against what they're telling you to do, that might be a loss somewhere else down the line. Yeah. So, and that did come up a lot. And that's just because we're, we're used to the D&D camp, like D&D, where you sit at a table and you yell at each other for what the plan is for four hours, and then you go off and the plan never works. That's how D&D is. That's just what D&D is. One of my favorite L5R quotes is that all of your decisions should be made within the space of seven breaths because immediacy is a part of being valorous. Yeah. Because if you know that what you're doing is right, then you should charge forward and you should do the right thing. And so, yes, of course, there should be some thought and some tactics and some work put into the plans that you're making. But at the end of the day, hey, we don't think we should do this for reasons X, Y, Z. Yep, but I think we're going to do it. Okay, boss, you got it. You're the dude with the <laughs> highest status. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes it gets you shot. I love that. <laughs> yeah, you love uh, having your character get walked up to the front gates and then get peppered with arrows because the party didn't think up their uh, their plan a little bit better. Hey, man. People make mistakes on a regular basis. That's Could, just how it goes. Couldn't happen to me, man. <laughs> Most of my characters die due to issues of being honorable and or utilizing status to not the best of my capabilities. So, Do we, do we want to unpack that? No, it's fine. I'm okay with it. <laughs> I'm okay with dying for the sake of a storyline. That's fine with me. Always will be, always have been. It's just what I do. Wait, there's a word for that. It's called being a fridge character. No. <laughs> no, Megan. I die to inspire others. <laughs> no, not the fridge, Megan. <laughs> What's the Rokugani equivalent of that? Because, like, it's not like fridges exist in Rokugan. That's fair. Uh, Are you the pickling jar character? The pickling jar character. <laughs> Put you in the cellar. I'm the wine barrel character. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Let that ferment for a while. Oh, I hate that so much. <laughs> One thing we forgot to mention when discussing honor is the concept of on and how to preserve one's on. 
Uh, How would you explain that to people? So, <laughs> on is your, your public face. Yeah. Or your respectability. Uh, it's behind all the ideas of Rokugani politeness. Rokugan is more concerned with the appearance than the truth. Yeah. Uh, and the Rokugani are respectful to each other because causing a scene brings a loss of on to both parties. Discipline is very important, so when somebody shows a burst of emotion, you could say they lost their face. Yeah. In situation. Holding your shit together. Yeah, keep it together. <laughs> Get it all in a pile. And put it somewhere. Put it somewhere. <laughs> and, and, like, privately deal with it. Yeah. Because we don't deal with that stuff publicly. We call that masking in real life. Well, and it's funny that you should say that as well. Because <sighs> the easiest way of preserving one's on publicly and preventing your facial emotions that you can't control from being displayed is by carrying a fan. Mm-hmm. Every courtier in Rokugan carries a fan. Many Shugenja in the Empire carry a fan. A bunch of Bushi just learn to do the, like, resting bitch face thing, and so it's just, oh, he's just they're a very stoic person. Yeah. <laughs> Delightful. Naturally, my facial expression does not change. <laughs> yeah. But the, the carrying of a fan and the usage of a fan to cover one's face allows you to display that emotion and it's largely ignored. If you are in the middle of getting roasted by somebody and you pop your fan, yeah, nobody saw you make the face. Everybody knows that you're hiding behind your fan. You so while we don't talk about it, face, yeah. we're definitely gossiping about it. Oh, right? yeah. Rokugani are gossipy bitches. 100 I love it. And, and it's part of the fun of Rokugan as a society, where it's like, you see a thing, you go and chat with your buddies about it over a cup of sake, and then that influences things that occur because that word travels very quickly. Yeah. No, my, there's nothing I love more than being like in a social interaction in L5R and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, after what you just said, fans pop. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> spicy. We gotta have a good fan pop. <laughs> love a good fan pop. But isn't there like a whole communication process with fans yeah. when at court that if you tilt it a certain way and or close it a certain way, you're saying something to someone? Does that come up ever? We never really do it in our campaigns. With players that want to play into that, that is a thing. The... There is a crane courtier rank technique where other cranes who have levels of courtier, you can communicate with them without other people knowing. It's called cadence. Yeah. And it's really cool, but not every clan has that. Yeah. And I kind of wish they had that. To some degree, at least. Yeah. So yeah. like, hey, I motion with my fan this way, which means you go this way. I encourage players, especially in court situations, your courtier develops those hand signs, those like tactical movements where as long as you are paying attention to what's going on, you will know what to do next or yeah. where to position yourself or how to be because it adds another layer to the game, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember reading a lot about like that process and I was just like, I would love to play where we do get to do that a lot. But it would be so, it's one more thing to navigate yeah. in a social situation, right? Because you're going to have the people having the conversation and do, being a, actively a part of the court in having those conversations and those speeches. And then in the background, you're going to have players that are communicating, doing things with their fans, right? So I feel like it's just another added layer that you have to keep track of as a GM. And if you're willing to go down that road, yeah, both feet. Yeah. Commit to it. Decide that it is a thing that you're going to do and a thing that you want to give to your players. Mm -hmm. If that is something that your players are interested in, mm -hmm. right? If three of your players at your table are like, hey, like, we want to do the fan games. We want to play the game of letters. We want to use the language of flowers. Okay, cool. Give me some time to prep. 
and reward your players for buying into the setting. Yeah. No, I, even if it's just like the small pieces of maybe your players don't necessarily know exactly what it means, but you know two people are, co- are communicating that way. Yeah. And so then one player will go back and research it, read about it, and the next time you go to court, they can understand what these two people are saying to each other. 100%. Right? Like, it doesn't have to be that you as a team utilize this process, but knowing it exists and taking the time to implement it in your game in different creative ways is would be the next best step. Hell yeah. Right? Man, I just really want to just... I remember one of the first things I ever was, like, bought when I started playing Alpha Bar was a fucking fan. Yep. And mine actually says shade across it. Of course. <laughs> and, like, the only, the only other, like, pop culture reference I can think of for folks is just, like, uh, watch Bridgerton. Because, like, they don't have fan. Like, some of them do have fans, but some of them will just, like, turn away and have conversations in secret co- whisper whispers. Like, that's what it feels like when you're at a court game. If you decide that you're ever going to run a court game, I strongly wrongly recommend that you watch the first season of Bridgerton. Yeah. It like it is a show that is delightful on its own merits for its own reasons. I won't get into it, but it is also an excellent portrayal of life at court. Yes. Where we're going to go and do a dance right now because it's a court thing. Yeah. We're going to go and play polo right now because it's a court thing. We're going to go watch this play because it's a court thing. And most of the people there don't want anything to do with it, but you better believe they're there drinking and gossiping and building connections and talking about the future of the empire with their contemporaries. Yeah. Now, I remember we did like a like a small romantic court, not necessarily in Rokugan because we were playing in Marinay, but we we did a dance that was required between me and another character. And like, it was the most uncomfortable dance, but it was very public. Yep. And everyone saw it happen. Yep. But it had to happen. Yep. And like, and that popped off a bunch of conversations around the, like around court. Right. Yep. So. Yeah. Your, uh, your bitter betrothal. Yep. We love a good bitter betrothal. Oh, don't we love a bitter, <laughs> good bitter betrothal. But hey, man, she put on a strong, brave face and eventually murdered him, so it's okay. Do you murder all the people that you're bitterly betrothed to? Yes. Noted. <laughs> so that's all for today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in this series on Legend of the Five Rings, make sure to like and comment which speaks most to you, honor, glory, or status. And don't forget to follow or subscribe, because in the next episode, we will begin to dive into the actual great clans of the Empire. For more info and details, please check the show notes. When you're resolved from the beginning, you will not be perplexed. This understanding extends to everything. Be resolved, young samurai, and tell the world what you have witnessed here today.